Good morning, Southfield. It is so good to see you, to have you with us here this morning. We've got a lot going on. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy week, and it's good to, to be with my people. Um, yep. We, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have checked, we sent out the, the weekend update yesterday. So it gave you a whole list of things that we're going through uh, as a church. And if, if you haven't been receiving those or if you haven't been getting the updates, make sure you go to the church website. All the way down at the bottom, there's a blue plus sign that you can press to enter your email and start getting these updates. One of the first things on the email this week was a rehashing of the common rule group. John Beaker is running a group on uh, Saturday mornings from 9 to 10, working through the, the series that we did um, a, few, a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. just going through those common rule practices again. It's called 30 Days to Change, and basically that's, that's going to lead right up until Christmas time. So a uh, pretty cool group to get reinvested into those, those principles that, that can be totally, totally life-changing. Um, we also have a second day for the Bananas Playgroup because yeah. one day just was enough. I see Jesse in the back, like, yeah, jumping <laughs> up and down. I think, I don't know, Jesse, can you handle five days? <laughs> so, no, okay, two is enough for now. Uh, but, yeah, we are adding the second day there, which is really cool uh, to have everybody here because um, the kids, like you've been saying, they just oh, don't want to yeah, go. Yeah, cooped up, trapped up, so it's nice to get out, and once they're here, they don't want to leave. Yeah. They, they love being here, and I, that's the mom's too. It's the caregivers too. So right. It's pretty neat. Spending time with each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm blanking. There's a, there's a third one. Group? There. Well, the, the third Christmas. Group. Christmas. Christmas, yes. We have uh, an opportunity for our littles to sign up to be a part of our Christmas play choir, which is really cool. There's not a lot of practice involved because ultimately we know that our two and three-year-olds, uh, they might be starstruck on that night, so we might just get a lot of cute... You know, they're like a handful of best things of the year, and one of them is watching two-year-olds not sing, <laughs> but just watching them, you yeah, know? Just, Somebody inevitably becomes the star. It's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It's so, fun. so those registrations are available uh, as well, and again, the, we'll, they'll just get the song, they'll be able to listen to it. Uh, as we were talking at our staff meeting, it sounds like maybe just a practice or two for that, uh, but we're also looking for adults who are willing to help um, do like kind of the set work and day of work. So if, if that's something that, you're, that you'd be open to, we'd really, really appreciate it and we'd love to have you involved. Cool. Um, yeah. I, uh, my, my ad for the morning is, you know, you know by now, you've been around enough, enough weeks now to see we're not, a, we're not an all COVID all the time group, but uh, we are, we're in November. It's the second weekend in November. Inevitably, every year in November, colds and flus happen. Every year in November, allergies are at their height. I, I've been mowing the lo- leaves. That's how I collect my leaves. I mow them, bag them, send them on off to the, the landfill somewhere where they disintegrate. And uh, I get done with that. I'm coughing, I'm sneezing, and all my neighbors are looking at me like, oh no, you know, death has come. So um, I, I raise all that to say we are in that time of year, and, and COVID or not, this is just a good, simple practice. If you have a fever, stay home, all right? If you're sick, stay home. I mean, Jesus loves us to share, but not everything. There are some things we should keep to ourselves, and our diseases are one thing that we should keep to ourselves. So if you're sick, stay home. In fact, we provide a video every week at nine o'clock that you can watch, catch that, but you know, throughout the winter, we'll probably have some people who aren't feeling well and just uh, feel free to stay home. So get in that habit, it's a great habit to be in. 
What else? Students. Uh, so tonight we are meeting as scheduled, 6 to 8 p.m. with the high schoolers at Revive. Same thing Wednesday, the junior hires at Refuge, 6.30 to 8.30. Next week's going to look a little different. We're having a Revive Thanksgiving meal. We're going to have it here at the church so we can control everything, make sure it's all safe and good to go. Uh, but you may have your student come home and say, hey, uh, mom, I promised that you'd make this special thing. Or dad, you know, you've got to make this special thing. So I just want to make you aware that your students may be signing you up, volunteering you, uh, volunteering you, uh, that we're we're doing some uh, some things for next week. So I've told I've told uh, the students if you guys have some special dish that you want to bring, go ahead and do that. So that's for revive next week, and then uh, refuge isn't going to be doing any any big meal or anything, but we will have something uh, special for them next week, and then we're going to take the week of Thanksgiving off. So the Sunday before Thanksgiving and the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, we're going to take off from both groups. Uh, since schools are out, we know that people are going to be traveling and spending time with families, or maybe not this year. Um, we want to give that time to, to yourselves to, to kind of recoup and be with each other uh, throughout the season. So that's that. Um, another thing with students. So this week, I, or this morning, I woke up and I was just completely, completely exhausted. It's not because I picked up running again, because I haven't. Uh, it's not because I've been doing some intense reading, you know, learning new things. No. I think just this week, with everything that's happened, with constant election updates, and you know, I've, I've got some friends going through a stressful move, it has felt like my heart has just been a sponge that's been being wrung out. And the more and more that I see people sharing, the more and more you know, people that are, are sharing things that are unbiblical and not, you know, that are not of the word, it's been wearing on me and it's just been dragging me down. But it's been dragging me down in, I'll admit, in kind of a, a selfish way. I've looked and said, how is, this effect, how is this affecting me? How is this impacting Brian and my relationships, my relationship with my wife? How is this impacting Brian's job and Brian's interactions with Brian's coworkers? And although I heard this story on Monday, it didn't hit me until really Friday night going into Saturday morning. Um, because again, I, as all the stuff, as all the election stuff came out, I was reminded um, in, in this discouraged state that there are still kids doing some pretty great things. Lorelai Brooks, who's one of our high schoolers, stood up in a speech class in the middle of one of the most divisive elections this country has ever seen. In a time where, for, for any stance that you might have, you are completely written off by people who are so-called friends. You are defamed and disavowed on social media. You are eviscerated on social media for having certain stances. She said, I don't care. I do not care because this is not about me. This is about this. This is about the truth that's in here. And so Lorelai Brooks stood up in front of her speech class and she gave a speech about being pro-life and the, the value that God has given to each and every one of those lives that's being beautifully and wonderfully woven together in mother's wombs. And so that this week, if, if you are discouraged, if you are broken, know that we have a generation of kids that still does love God, that is still willing to stand up in front of a classroom in the most trying time that they will ever see and stand for biblical truth. That was really encouraging to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny, I, I, look at, I look at students and, and nothing's really changed. I mean, Solomon was great at saying there's nothing new under the sun. 
every generation of high school and college students thinks that they're so countercultural. They, you know, well, I'm, you know, fighting the man, all that, all that junk. And if they just look around, they'd realize they're countercultural just like everybody else. That they're not countercultural at all. They're flowing with the current like a dead carp. This is countercultural. That's the difference right there. That's the difference right there. We stand with him. We stand with him and we stand for him. So thanks for that. Joshua chapter 5. Please read Joshua chapter 5 to us. And it's, uh, we've been having fun with this this week because, you know, not me. Brian's in charge of junior hires. And like the first half of the chapter is about circumcision. So go crazy. I'm never going to say this word again after today. Okay. Joshua chapter 5. Now, when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted with fear, and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gebeath Hearloth. Getting there. Now this is why he did so. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he solemnly promised their ancestors, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and, they, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce from the lands, unleavened bread and roasted grains. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land, and there was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you, where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. God, we're grateful for your word, for the stories in your word. Not just stories, not just, not just events that we look at, but with this understanding that these give us a model for the way that we're supposed to live. So I pray as we look at this important day in the life of Israel uh, that we will learn better what it means to live boldly and courageously in our own times. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this coming week is, uh, marks uh, an incredibly historic moment in, in the history of our nation. It was 400 years ago that the, that the 
Mayflower came home. People disembarked and were here on this great land. It's amazing to think, 400 years. And I raise that today um, just to kind of get some perspective on 400 years. 400 years is before World War II. It's before Abraham Lincoln. It's before George Washington. 400 years is a long, long, long time ago. It's a long time ago. And the day that we're looking at today in the life of Israel, in Joshua chapter 5, was 400 years in the making. It's crazy to think that they had waited that long for this particular day. Let's just run through a, a touch of the history of the day. You go back to Genesis chapter 12, and there's this man named Abram, and he's told at 75 years old, get up, start walking, I'll tell you when to stop. And he does, amazingly. He just, he obeys. A lot of us, my goodness, if we're like, if we're in our mid-40s and we're told, relocate, we're like, oh, I don't know. That, that, I'm, I'm settled where I am. No, get up and go. And he started to walk until God said, stop. And there he is in the land of Israel. And he starts to have kids. And he has, he has Isaac, and, well, actually he has Ishmael first. And Ishmael and Isaac, we know, are sibling rivals. And that rivalry lasts to this very day in the Middle East. And Isaac has a son. And his name is Jacob. And Jacob has a slew of sons. And one of his sons is uh, famous on Broadway because he had Technicolor Dreamcoat. And, um, and that, son, that son is hated by all the other sons. And they decide to get rid of him and they sell him as a slave to Egypt. And um, I think part of the reason we love Joseph's story is because Joseph has promised greatness but it sure doesn't come quickly. In fact, there's no ladder to success for Joseph. It's, it's a pit of despair that keeps being dug. At every turn, he goes deeper and deeper and deeper until one day, there he is in Pharaoh's court. He's an assistant to Pharaoh and he saves the nation from a coming famine. He, he actually makes sure that they have enough food, food to make it through. His family back home in Israel hears that Egypt has food and they head on out. And they go down to Egypt. And that's how the whole family ends up in Egypt. Now the thing about this, this wasn't just an idea that Jacob and his kids had come up with, but, but this, was actually, this was actually part of the plan and purposes of God. God talks to Abram back in Genesis chapter 15. Listen to these words. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nations, the, the nation that they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. And in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sins of the Amorites had not yet reached their full measure. This was not just something that evolved along the way. It was a part of the pronounced plans and purposes of God. This day that we're looking at, this day in Joshua chapter 5, God knew and planned for this day. So I'm sure you've gone on vacation at some point in your life. And when you've gone on vacation, you kind of have a plan for your trip. You know what, you have a limited amount of time wherever you're going to go, and you got a plan for your trip. Even if the plan is, we're going to spend the first day resting, there's a plan for the trip. Some of my recent trips have not been fun trips. It's been, you know, moving Nate back from college or moving Nate in in Colorado Springs. But when you finally get a chance to go on that fun trip, you got a plan. These people have had 400 years to plan for entering the promised land. It's the day. They're finally in. What are we going to do? We're finally home. 
You know what? Israel didn't have a plan. They had no plan. They were just there. But here's what's beautiful. God had a plan. God knew what he was going to have happen that very first day. And God speaks to Joshua, and here's what he says. Go ahead, make some flint knives, and circumcise all the guys. Really? Day one. This is the day one plan. Honestly, this is what we're going to do first. We've been waiting all this time to enter the promised land, and this is the plan. And I suspect that Joshua, as a military leader, is thinking... Mm. Now, let's just think this through, God. I want to I use as much of the element of surprise and speed as possible. I want to get in. I want to take Jericho by storm. I don't want them having a chance to think about what's going on here. I want to get in and get to work. And what you're telling me is that I am supposed to incapacitate my entire army. I'm supposed to take my army and sideline them for a while. He might have, we don't get all the things Joshua thinks. I wish we did sometimes. He might have even been thinking, God, we've been out here for 40 years. 40 years. Could we not have taken care of this sooner? Why now? Why this moment? There's an important reason why this moment. God was renewing a practice with his people. A practice that had been put on hold in the wilderness. In the wilderness, for some reason, the male children were not circumcised. All the people that had left Egypt were, but they didn't undertake this practice while they were in the wilderness. They had just ignored it. And so God is, God's renewing a practice with his people. And that practice was to be a symbol of the obedient relationship that they had with him. There's a tremendous irony as we look at this passage. We read that the group that left Egypt was circumcised, but was disobedient. And then we read that the group that's about to enter the promised land was not circumcised, but, but the Bible literally says these are the people whom God had raised up in their place. They had the blessing of God upon them. You see, what we start to realize here is that this wasn't really about a physical event or a physical moment or, or a marking of skin. What this really was about was a question. Are you obedient or not? Are you in an obedient relationship with me or not? And even more fundamentally, are you in a relationship with me at all? They come to this place called the promised land. They waited for the land for the longest time. And yet in a real sense, their treasure was not the land of Israel. Their treasure was God himself. God was the promise God was the promise that they were supposed to engage. You know, when we have Moses standing on Mount Nebo, looking out over the land with God, and God says, here's the land, but you don't get to go in. We don't, we don't kind of get this sense of bitterness from Moses. You know, I've worked all this time, really? You're not going to at least let me put a toe on it or something? Really? You're not going to let me? We don't get the, you know what I think we get from Moses? I don't need to enter the land. I have you. I have you. You're my satisfaction. I find all my satisfaction in you. And I think in a real sense, God was saying to his people, it's great that you finally get to enter into the land, but I'm the promise. I'm the promise for you. Will you fully and completely engage with me? I am the promise. And so we begin with this renewal of a practice 
that was really a symbol of obedience. And the, the irony is some people had the symbol of obedience but were not obedient, while others did not yet have the symbol but were obedient. And you got to wonder sometimes how often we're in the same spot. We have the symbols of a relationship with God. I've been baptized. I'm a member of a church. I serve on this team over here. I'm a part of this small group. Uh, you know, I've done, I've cleaned up my language. I've done this, I've done that. And it's like, great, you got the symbols of a relationship with God. But do you really have a relationship with God? Are you really in an obedient relationship with God? Because it all comes down to, am I obeying what's written here or not? Am I going along with what's written here or not? And if I'm not going along with what's written here, but I've gone through all the symbols, the symbols to some degree are worthless. They're symbols and only symbols. But the symbol is there to remind us that what God is really looking for is not for us to simply inherit the land, but to inherit Him, to enter into a relationship with Him. So that part passes away, and we come to the next part. And the next part, we have the people in Captain Gilgal, and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. God first reestablishes or renews a practice with them. And now he's going to renew a rhythm. This annual rhythm of celebrating the night that God spared Israel. The night that God freed Israel. And a bunch of firstborn were swept from the face of the earth. But the ones that were not were the ones that had blood on the posts of the doors. The blood on the posts of the doors was a protection. And, and this rhythm of Passover symbolized the people's dependence on God. That they did not free themselves from, from Egypt. They didn't do that work themselves. It was God who freed them. And so God is looking for us to renew our obedience to him, but also to renew our dependence on him. You know, this passage goes on and talks about further dependence. We read that, after the Passover, that very day, they ate the produce of the land. They went out, and from the land, they were able to make unleavened cakes, and they ate parched grain. And then we read this, and the manna ceased that the day after they ate of the produce of the land. That was the, God had supernaturally provided for his people all the time they were in desert, throwing bread from the sky. But the second that they entered the land and started eating from the produce of the land, the manna stopped. Now think about it again. Why did they leave the land in the first place? Famine, lack of food. And now they come into the land and there is an abundance of food and God says, I don't need to send any manna anymore. It's, I, my dad growing up, he used, to, he used to kid every once in a while, he calls something like there were miracles and then there were major miracles. You know, you had things that, oh, that's a miracle. And then like, wow, that, that one's really a major miracle. Major miracle, bread from the sky. But it is no less miraculous that God fed his people from the ground. He fed them. And for that matter, he was their food. He was the food that they needed. And so we have not only a renewing of a practice, but we have a renewing of a, of a rhythm, the rhythm of Passover that stated again and again, you're dependent on me. Do you obey me? Do you depend on me? And then we have this moment, this moment toward the, end of the, toward the middle of the chapter. By the way, if you're looking at the chapter, we talked last week about the way chapters are divided. Technically, if I could restart this, renumber this, this would be the start of chapter 6. Because it goes with everything that's going on in chapter 6. But for now, it's here in chapter 5, and we'll look at it there. We have Joshua, and he's near Jericho. So what's this guy doing? 
He's a military strategist. He's a general. He's a leader. He knows he's got to go to war. And so he goes and he just starts staring at the city. He's looking at it and he's trying to figure out how he's going to do this. Remember, Joshua did not have to get circumcised. He already was. He was, he was one who had been there before the wilderness journey. And so while everybody else is healing up, he's off making strategy. He's plotting. He's getting ready. What's going to happen next? How are we going to take this city on? What's going to take place? And as he's there looking, a man is standing before him, and he has a drawn sword in hand. Have you ever, can you imagine somebody standing there, a soldier standing there with a sword drawn, and and you're you're trying, what would you do? my, My tendency would be to run, uh, but, but, but to hide, right? Go to a thicket, figure out the situation. What's going on here? I love this. Joshua, strong and courageous Joshua. Joshua went up to him. He just flatly goes up to a guy with a, with a sword drawn, a soldier with a sword drawn, and, and he asks him a question. The question is asked different ways in different translations of the Bible. Let me, let me put it the way it's meant to be understood. Are you with us or are you with them? Whose side you on? Are you with us or are you with them? And the most literal answer to the question given in the Bible is this, no. I don't know about you, but that isn't quite an answer to the question if you ask me. Are you with us or are you with them? No. Well, in effect, what he's saying is neither. Neither. I'm not on your side. I'm not on their side. I'm on God's side. I'm on God's side. He says, no, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord, and now I have come. You're sitting here figuring out your strategy. I've come to deliver the strategy. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? He says, what's the battle plan? I am open. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. And the commander of the Lord's army doesn't break into the battle plan. He says, take off your sandals. The place on which you're standing is holy. He's inviting Joshua to renew that relationship of loyalty to God. This wasn't about, are you on our side or are you on their side? The question every believer has to ask as they're renewed is, am I on God's side? That's the only question that matters. Am I on God's side? And so everything about Joshua's perspective is being renewed in this moment as he pays attention to this man standing before him. God allows us to renew our practices, which symbolize obedience, to renew our rhythms, which again and again express our dependence on God and renew a vision symbolizing our sincere loyalty to the Lord our God. So let me just look at a couple lessons from this one last time, kind of a final sweep. Here's the first. God does his best work when we are exposed and vulnerable. We love the way that sounds. We don't like it. In fact, I would dare say we don't believe it. We come to God and we're like, God, I have gifts, I have talents, I have strengths, I have personality, charm, charisma. God, lucky you. Here I am. Ready to be used. Let me know. What do you want? I'm ready. I'm ready. And God looks and says, you're not broken enough yet. You're not messed up enough yet. You're not hurting enough yet. You're not vulnerable enough yet. 
you're not exposed enough yet. Do you realize what a what tremendously disastrous military strategy it was to take all the males of the land and saying, I'm going to incapacitate you and leave you vulnerable to attack? What did God say in that moment? You don't need to depend on you. You need to depend on me. I'm your safety. I'm here to protect you. I'm here to keep you safe. God does his best work when we are exposed and vulnerable. We love hearing verses like, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. We love that for other people. (laughs) We just don't like it for us. We don't like when it's our brokenness that God's saying, okay, now, now you're ready to be used. Now you're ready to be used by me. Second one, God is not a lucky rabbit's foot. We tend to treat God like a lucky rabbit's foot. Like God is on our side and, and we're, we're going to be okay because, because God is our lucky rabbit's foot. Certainly, the people of Israel tended to do that. We're God's chosen people. God would not let anything bad to happen to us. We're God's chosen people. In Jeremiah chapter 7, Jeremiah is telling the people of the destruction that's coming from Babylon. And, and there's this kind of odd verse. Verse 4 the, the false prophets are saying, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry. And Jeremiah says to the people, don't trust in these deceptive words from the false prophets. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. What in the world is he saying? The Israelites were saying, and the prophets, the false prophets of Israel were saying, God will never let us be destroyed. We have the temple in Jerusalem. His dwelling place is here among us. He'll never let us be destroyed. What ultimately happened? Babylon came in and utterly destroyed the temple. They were treating God like a lucky rabbit's foot. They weren't weren't asking the question, am I on God's side? They weren't asking that question at all. And it really is what it all comes down to us us, folks. We like to think of God as being on our side. It's not a matter of, is God on my side? Am I on God's side? That's what it really all comes down to. Not is God loyal to me, but am I loyal to God? And so I want to encourage you to have the courage to think about renewal. We don't like to think about it. Maybe you're not in the best place spiritually right now. And to think about where you are it, it'd kind of hurt. It'd be painful. It'd be a difficult process. And so you, and so you just kind of keep ignoring it. You keep pushing it away. But God is calling on all of us continually to consider where, where do I need to be renewed? Sometimes that renewal comes through a practice, a symbol of obedience, a symbol of obedience like getting baptized. This coming week, we're actually taking that portable immersion tank that we have and placing it out in the foyer, and some people from one of the small groups are going to be getting baptized right there underneath the cross. And maybe, maybe you're still, you've been putting it off. You've been put, you're old enough that you're going, I'm just too old to do that right now. It would be embarrassing. I, yeah, God's saying, are you willing to renew this practice to symbolize that you are obedient to me? The renewal of a rhythm they had annual Passover. We have weekly communion. Weekly, we, we get the chance to be reminded that this bread symbolizes a body that was broken for us. And this cup, this cup symbolizes blood that was shed, blood on a cross 
so that we could have eternal life. One of the things that, that I've not been crazy about in the, the abbreviated services is that um, I don't want communion to be something like we're just, okay, quick, take communion, let's get on to the next thing. And in fact, last week, because of the way we do the fourth service, we do music for them first. I like totally forgot communion. So church is done and I see people, you know, sitting there taking communion. I'm like, we've got to take some meaningful time today for communion. So we're going to take a few moments uh, watching and listening to a song that we use for communion. And as you do, I want you to think about reflecting on what's the area of life that there needs to be renewal right now. Renewal of obedience, renewal of dependence, renewal of loyalty to God. And we'll do that listening to the words of, of that prayer that Jesus gave us to pray, which becomes more and more meaningful by the day. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today, today's manna, our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us, God. Deliver us from the evil one. For yours and yours alone is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Enjoy these moments reflecting with God and renewing your relationship with him. Did I do that? No, no. Sorry.
Let's go ahead and stand together. As we walk from this place today, God, give us the courage to face the areas where renewal is necessary in our relationship with you. Give us the courage to look at the areas that we are not fully obedient to you and to move closer to you. Help us to see the areas that we've grown less dependent on you, more dependent on ourselves or the things of the world than on you alone. Help us to see the areas that we're not being loyal to you. And not think so much about, is God on my side, but am I on God's side? Help us not to live this life unexamined. To live in such a way that that everything's okay because I've been baptized, because I take communion, because I do the symbols of a relationship with God. But I'm ignoring a sincere relationship with God. Move us closer to yourself today. Help us not simply to look for a promised land, but to find that every promise is met in you. In Jesus' name we pray, today, now, and always. Amen. We'll see you next week. Make his face shine